You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. I'd be listening to the mainstream media and just be left frustrated on how they covered these stories. They would completely ignore facts just to promote their own agenda. I said, man, I could do a better job than these fools. I should start my own show. So I did. World War III is trending, talks about war with Vietnam, I mean, uh, Iran. (laughs) Y'all ready for uh, Vietnam round two? The Sand Boogaloo? (laughs) Oh my gosh. We're barely into 2020, and we're talking about World War III. So what is going on? I I can't go on one hunting trip. Without Trump starting what seems to be another escalation with Iran, the most serious one yet. I, I seriously, I went to I went hunting at the begin the day after New Year's. Went hunting, I had no cell service in the area I was in. It was extremely spotty. But uh, I'm sitting there. It's uh, it's ten o'clock at night. All uh, all my buddies are sitting there. We're all drinking whiskey, having a good time. I get cell service all of a sudden, so I'm bored a little bit. I go on my phone, check Twitter. World War Three is the top trending thing on Twitter. Oh, my God. What is going on? So, apparently, if you haven't heard the news, we're going to war with Iran. No, we're not. We're not going to war with Iran. Not yet, at least. This has just been, oh, just a cluster. Just a cluster, a mess. And I'm going to break down what got us to this point with Iran. So what is happening with Iran? Why is World War III trending? How did we get here? And why are the relations between the United States and Iran so bad? Um, so let's go ahead and dive on into that. We can go as far back as uh, the 60s. Um, when the U.S. government led a coup to overthrow the government of Iran and install the Shah. Um, and then we could go into the inevitable retaliation of that move that was the Iranian Revolution and the hostage crisis of 79. So you could say things haven't been good between the two countries for a long time. But let's just focus on recent history. Generally, Within recent history, relations with Iran over the past like eight years or so have been getting progressively better. By no means were they good, but they weren't getting worse, I would say. Um, However, things have taken a sharp downturn recently and quickly. So let's explore that a little bit. Let's take it back to 2018. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to break down some like important events that happened throughout 2018. I'll break it down through 2019 and then at the beginning of 2020 here. So hang with me. 
try not to get confused. I'm going to try and be as uh, precise as I can be on uh, on hitting these little timeline uh, timeline bullet points here. So let's take it back to 2018. May 2018, the U.S. withdraws from the Iran nuclear deal. Trump followed through on a campaign promise that he would back out of the Iran nuclear deal a deal where the JCPOA had tightly restricted Iran's nuclear program in return for ending sanctions that had severely damaged its economy. So, later on in May 2018, Trump then released a a list of demands that Iran completely stop its nuclear program and end its support of Assad in the Syrian civil war. All of those demands were rejected by Iran later. August 2018, the first rounds of heavy sanctions hit Iran. The U.S. reimposed the first round of sanctions on Iran, originally lifted as a part of the nuclear deal. They prohibited trade with a number of business sectors, from aviation and carpets to pistachios and gold. Moving on to November 2018, a second round of sanctions hit Iran. The U.S. announced a new round of sanctions, this time specifically targeting the key oil and banking sectors of the country. So that concludes the kind of mid to late 2018 bullet points. Going into 2019, April of 2019, Trump announced that he was designating a powerful arm of the Iranian military, the elite Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, the IRGC, as a foreign terrorist organization. Now, this was the first time Washington has formally labeled another country's military as a terrorist group. Um, And so, responding to that move, Iran immediately declared the U.S. as a state sponsor of terrorism and called Washington's forces in the region a terrorist group. May 2019, National Security Advisor John Bolton announced that the U.S. was sending an aircraft carrier strike group and Air Force bombers to the Middle East. Later on in in May, Iran said it was preparing to increase enriched uranium in heavy water production as part of its decision to stop certain commitments made under the nuclear deal. Trump responds to this with new heavy sanctions against Iran's steel and mining sectors. In June... Of 2019, a Japanese tanker and a Norwegian tanker came under attack in the Gulf of Oman, according to the Norwegian Maritime Authority and the Japanese ship owner. Now, we covered this um, event in detail in a past episode. So if you want to know more about that, please go back and listen. Uh, I, I think I did like a play on um, the title with like the Gulf of Tonkin. And I think it was the Gulf of Oman, Gulf of Tonkin type thing. So you can go back and listen to that detail, uh, <clears throat> that episode in detail if you want. Uh, also in June 2019, the Pentagon authorized the deployment of a thousand additional troops to the Middle East. On the same date, Iran said it was 10 days away from surpassing the limits set by the nuclear deal on its stockpile of low enriched uranium. In late June 2019, Iranian forces shoot down a U.S. military drone. You may have remembered this story. It was the uh, the unmanned drone that was shot down. 
Both countries confirm the incident, but offer diverging accounts of the location of the aircraft. The U.S. said that the aircraft was flying above international waters, while Iran said the drone was flying in Iranian airspace. Uh, that was followed by Trump uh, <laughs> essentially almost launching a strike against Iran, but decided against it. And uh, in place of a strike that would have killed around 150 people, he leveled on more additional sanctions on Iran. In August, uh, we'll just kind of do August through November because it's kind of like a, a same back and forth, back and forth between the U.S. and Iran. Between August and November of 2019, Iran further exceeded ure- uh, in enrichment levels and the U.S. kept responding with more and more sanctions. Now we get, now that I've kind of played it out here, now we get to what's happened in the last month. Um, so to set the scene of the last month, I'm going to read an excerpt from the uh, from an article at the Libertarian Institute by Scott Horton. Um, Scott's a, an expert in foreign affairs, especially in the Middle East. So uh, I value his writing. I've read a lot of uh, of what he's written, as well as um, he's got an excellent uh, podcast where he actually brings in people from the area to give their own personal accounts of what they're seeing on the ground over there. It's, it's, uh, amazing stuff. Uh, Scott Horton, the Scott Horton show. Uh, but I'm going to read a little bit of his article. So let's go ahead and dive on in. More than 5,000 U.S. troops remain in-country fighting Iraq War III against what's left of, ISIS, of the ISIS insurgency in western Iraq. It is doing so in cooperation with the Shiite-dominated Baghdad government and its paramilitary forces, such as the Badr Brigade and even Hezbollah. But over the past six months or so, Israelis, with the cooperation of the U.S., have been launching airstrikes against some of these militias. However, when one militia fired rockets back at, at a U.S. base in response on December 27th, killing a contractor and wounding two American soldiers, this was labeled the first day in history and pure Iranian aggression, though it is unknown whether Iran's forces were truly involved with the attack. The U.S. then attacked Khatib Hezbollah bases, killing approximately 25 and causing a massive reaction among major Shiite parties and leaders in the country, and a controlled semi-riot at the U.S. embassy. No lives were truly threatened, but this was clearly seen as a threat of a future Benghazi-type assault on the American embassy there. So keep in mind, that embassy there is a billion-dollar fortress. They banged up a couple doors. That was it. In response, on January 3rd, Trump escalated massively by ordering the killing of the second or third most powerful man in Iran, Qasim Soleimani, the leader of Iran's Quds Force, essentially their Special Operations Command. Apparently, graffiti implicating Soleimani at the scene of the riot turned into his death warrant. So let's go ahead and um, break into some myth-busting, shall we? If you've listened to the media at all talk about uh, Qasim Soleimani, You've heard accusations from he was responsible for 600 troops deaths in Iraq to he was involved in 
no, he's not involved in 9-11, to pretend that the media will actually like go about telling the truth about 9-11 when they haven't even implicated or told the truth about Saudi Arabia's involvement in 9-11. Like, give me a break. 9-11 is the huge boogeyman and the excuse for war. So they're just throwing his name in with 9-11 to get you to be on the train for war against Iran. Um, however, General Petraeus, David Petraeus, gave this bizarre take on Sunday. Let me read what he said. He said, It is impossible to overstate the importance of this particular action. It is more significant than the killing of Osama bin Laden or even the death of the ISIS leader al-Baghdadi, Petraeus told Foreign Policy magazine this week. Holy crap, the killing of this guy is more important than the killing of Osama bin Laden? Or the ISIS leader al-Baghdadi? What? (laughs) Um, okay. He said Soleimani was the architect and operational commander of the Iranian effort to solidify control of the so-called Shia Crescent, stretching from Iran to Iraq through Syria and southern Lebanon. He is responsible for providing explosives, projectiles, and arms and other munitions that killed well over 600 American soldiers and many more of our coalition and Iraqi partners just in Iraq, as well as many other countries such as Syria. So his death is of enormous significance. So these accusations in the media and by David Petraeus himself that Iran and Soleimani were responsible for the deaths of 600 American soldiers in the Iraq War II are false and have been debunked. And we'll go through that. I mean, the, the first thing when you when you listen to these things, instead of taking these things at face value, you go, okay, so I'm being told something, right? I'm being told that Iran and Soleimani were responsible for killing 600 American soldiers. You go, holy crap. Well, that's pretty terrible. They were killing American soldiers in Iraq. Okay. What's the proof that you have in this claim? Surely you have proof. Where's the evidence for these? Well, they don't have any. So let's break down these claims. Truthout.org has a great article. Gareth Porter at Truthout wrote this. On July the 9th of 2019, it says the title is lies about Iran killing U.S. troops in Iraq are a ploy just to justify war. So let's go into this section here. Myths about Iran providing Shiite militias with bombs. Let's read from it. The history of the myth begins with Vice President Dick Cheney's determination to attack Iran sometime before the end of the George W. Bush administration. Cheney had contemplated a campaign of U.S. airstrikes on Iran just to be justified by charging that Iran was trying to produce a nuclear weapon. But that rationale for for a U.S. military strike on Iran was unanimously rejected by the Joint Chiefs of Staff in a December uh, December 13, 2006 meeting with Cheney and President George W. Bush, according to a report by a political columnist, communist, Joe Klein in Time magazine. 
After that rebuff, Cheney began to focus on other rationale for war on Iran, the alleged Iranian role in killing U.S. troops in Iraq. On January 10th, 2007, President George W. Bush gave a speech that included language accusing Iran of providing material support for attacks on American troops. Although Bush did not threaten in that speech to retaliate against Iran, his words established a legal and political bias for a possible future attack, according to uh, Hillary Mann Leverett, former National Security Council staff director for the Persian Gulf, in an interview with me in 2008. After General David Petraeus took over as commander of coalition forces in Iraq in January 2007, the command went all out to support Cheney's strategy. Its main argument that the Iran that Iran was providing Shiite militias with powerful roadside bombs called explosively formed penetrators (EFPs) that were causing increasing number numbers of U.S. casualties in Iraq, but the evidence proved otherwise. Hezbollah, not Iran, had been well known as the world's most as the world's most knowledgeable designer and user of EFPs. Michael Knights, who had been following the role of EFPs in Iraq for nearly three years for a private security company in London, told me in an exclusive interview in January 2007 that it was Hezbollah that had transferred the EFPs and components for manufacture to Palestine militants after the second Infandata began in 2000. He also observed in a detailed account in Jane's Intelligence Review in 2006 that the first EFPs to appear in Iraq in 2004 were believed to come from Hezbollah. Newsday had reported on August 12, 2005, moreover, that Shiite militiamen had begun copying Hezbollah techniques for building as well as using EFPs, based on Lebanese and Iraqi official sources. The U.S. military intelligence chiefs in Iraq had claimed in September 2006 that C-4 explosives used in EFPs in Iraq bore the same batch number as the C-4s found on a Hezbollah ship, said by Israeli officials to be bound for Palestine fighters in 2003. But, Knights observed, this statement showed that Iran wasn't shipping the materials for the EFPs to Shiites in Iraq. If Iran had been shipping the C-4 to Iraq the previous year, he pointed out, the batch number would have been different from the one given to Hezbollah at least four years earlier. The command's efforts to push its line about Iran and EFPs encountered one embarrassing revelation after another. In February 2007, a U.S. command briefing asserted that the EFPs had characteristics unique to being manufactured in Iran. However, NBC correspondent Jane Araf confronted the deputy commander on co- of coalition troops, Lieutenant General Ray Adenero, with the fact that a senior military official had acknowledged to her that U.S. troops have been discovering many sites manufacturing EFPs in Iraq. Adenero was forced to admit that it was true. Then, in late February 2007, U.S. troops found another cache of parts and explosives for EFPs near Baghdad, which included shipments of PVC pipes for the canisters that controlled its, that contradicted its claims. They had not come from factories in Iran, but from factories in the UAE and other Arab countries, including Iraq itself. 
that evidence clearly suggested that the Shiites were procuring EFP parts on the commercial market rather than getting them from Iran. Although the military briefing by the command in February 2007 pointed to a cross-border weapon smuggling, it actually confirmed in one of its slides that it was being handled by Iraqi extremist group members, rather than by Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, the IRGC. And as Major General Rick Lynch, the U.S. commander for southern Iraq, admitted in a July 6 briefing that his troops had not captured anybody that we can directly tie back to Iran. Moving on to the next section, blaming Iran for casualties from U.S. attacks. The centerpiece of the Petraeus campaign was an effort to argue that Iran was responsible for U.S. casualties primarily in Baghdad because of its sponsorship of Shiite militias. In August 2007, Lieutenant General Adenero asserted that 73% of all attacks that had killed or wounded U.S. forces in Baghdad during July were by Shiite militias linked to Iran. That charge generated the New York Times headline, U.S. says Iran supplied bomb kills more troops. In fact, the increase in U.S. deaths was the direct result of Petraeus's decision to target Shia, cler- Shia cleric Mukadai al-Sadr Mahdi army in hope of weakening it. Beginning in late April 2007, the U.S. launched dozens of military operations aimed solely at capturing or killing the Mahdi, Ardi, Mahdi army officers, and the Mahdi army was strongly resisting those raids and imposing more casualties on U.S. troops. In his September 2007 congressional testimony, Petraeus introduced a new propaganda line that Iran had turned Sadr's militia into a Hezbollah-like force in order to fight a proxy war against the Iraqi state and the coalition forces in Iraq. But there was no evidence that those Shiite forces resisting the U.S. military's offensive had broken away from Sadr and were now responsive to Iran. No evidence. The Iraqi Shiite figure said to have been the leader of the supposed Iranian backed breakaway special groups was interrogated by the U.S. military for weeks after his arrest in March 2007. Reports of dozens of those interrogations have recently been declassified as a review of the report reveals that Kazali portrayed the special groups as an integral part of the Sadrist movement. He recalled that a large meeting of the Sadrist trend, the political and military forces aligned with Sadr, made the decision to organize special groups as early as 2004. And he pointed out that Iran, Iranian financial support did not go directly to those groups, but went through the same Sadr channel that supported the rest of the Mahdi army. The bitter irony of the Petraeus propaganda campaign against the Mahdi army is that al-Sadr had stubbornly maintained his Iraqi nationalist stance, completely independent of Iranian policy in Iraq since 2003. Meanwhile, rival Iraqi Shiite organizations, the Badr Organ- Organization and the Supreme Council for the Islamic Revolution in Iraq, having fled to Iran years earlier, had followed strict orders from their Iranian patrons, 
patrons to collaborate closely with the U.S. military and civilian authorities to establish and consolidate a Shiite-dominated regime in Iraq. The Shiite groups loyal to Iran and Sadr's armed followers were always in bitter conflict. In 2008, they fought in the streets of Basara and Baghdad. So there you have it. I know I read a lot there, but that I will link these uh, these links in the in the show notes so that you have them. You have access to these uh, articles that I'm showing you. So the evidence that Iran is responsible for these deaths is basically none at all. Very thin. And if you go, well, Hezbollah is basically Iran. And Iran gives Hezbollah money, so Iran is responsible. To that I say, okay, well, if just giving money to somebody makes you responsible for something, what do you think about the U.S. supplying funds and arms to ISIS and Al-Qaeda? If you want to go down that line of logic, you can if you want. Iran is the top sponsor of terrorism in the world. I've seen that one a lot. Really? I mean, I guess, like, if you talk about them funding Hezbollah, okay, the U.S. funds, I literally funded ISIS and Al-Qaeda. What do you call that? I would say that's a bigger, the U.S. is a bigger state sponsor of terrorism than Iran is. The evidence is there. Man. I don't know. Who would you like to choose to support more? Hezbollah or ISIS and (laughs) Al-Qaeda? Jeez, man. So, let's go back to the protest. It turns out that the protest at the U.S. Embassy was led in part by Hadi al-Amari, the head of the Badr Brigade and member of the ruling coalition in Parliament. And now his close associates, David Petraeus and Barack Obama, are pretending not to know him. Ironically, as Patrick Cockburn pointed out, this is all happening right when Iran and Soleimani's reputation were at a low ebb in Iraq due to the Quds force helping to organize a lethal overreaction to the recent protest movement breaking out among the Shiites there. That's over now. Iran's response may have already come in the form of Iraqi parliament's vote on Sunday to expel U.S. forces and file a official complaint against the U.S. and United Nations. So that happened this past week as well. The Iraqi parliament. So the U.S. invades Iraq to bring democracy. Democracy is brought to Iraq and Iraq votes to expel U.S. troops. Did Trump... Did the orange man literally just stumble into the solution for leaving Iraq? (laughs) I mean, did he just blunder his way into leaving Iraq? I don't know. I'm not going to believe it. I mean, (laughs) recent reports now that I've been reading today have been like, the U.S. is like, yeah, nah, we're not leaving. But, and I mean, that's just crazy enough, isn't it? You go, you overthrow a place, you kill Hundreds of thousands of people dead. Millions more displaced. 
to to accomplish virtually nothing some corrupt government that you put in place iraq's government is completely just a garbage fire it's completely riddled with corruption but democracy they got votes so guess what they voted they voted that they don't want you there anymore so now what now the u.s is just gonna go yeah nah we're not gonna respect to see that's the u.s's version of democracy <laughs> it's democracy if you're a puppet government but if you go against the u.s and the u.s wants to stay they're like nah we're gonna overthrow you again or now nah, we're just not gonna leave we're gonna occupy your country even if you don't want us there. And it's so messed up. So messed up. If the Ayatollah is smart, he'll take his political victory as good enough and avoid further escalation of the violence, which could cost the U.S., Iraq, and Iran all terribly. The U.S. has tens of thousands of troops and a zillion dollars worth of equipment in Iranian missile range. In Iraq, Afghanistan, Kuwait, Qatar, Oman, the UAE, as well as economic targets of unquantifiable value all up and down the west side of the Persian Gulf. At the same time, the U.S. has enough firepower to completely decimate Iran even without using nuclear weapons, if it came down to a real war. Mutually assured destruction has kept the relative peace thus far, but Americans should insist that the U.S. military leave Iraq immediately. Iraq War III is over. The territorial caliphate, as Trump calls it, has been destroyed, and Baghdad's sovereignty over western Iraq restored. If our best Iraqi allies that we've helped win two major wars in the last 17 years are such bad guys that we want to bomb their leaders then now we must be now must be the perfect time to quit this war once and for all the usa has no real reason to fight iran or their and our iraqi friends they do not threaten the american people they only stand in the way of american political and military dominance over the middle east that ship has already sailed If people are sad that Iran has increased its power and influence over the region in the last 20 years, they need to take that up with George W. Bush and Joe Biden. But there's nothing more we can do about it now. Again, the U.S. has only a few thousand troops in the country to help these same Shiite forces fight against what's left of ISIS. We do not have anything like the forces necessary to turn around and fight against the Shiite army and militias, even if we had a good reason to do so. Trump claims he ordered the killing to have the last word to, quote, stop a war, not start one. As reckless as this is, it does not seem to accurately reflect his intention. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo immediately started calling for a timeout on Twitter, insisting that the U.S. was intent on de-escalating the conflict from here on. On Sunday afternoon, Iran announced that they were withdrawing from more of the restrictions in the 2015 nuclear deal the U.S. left two years ago. Even if they quit the whole deal now, It would mean little since they are still within the non-proliferation treaty and safeguard agreements with the IAEA. However, 
we can expect the usual suspects to pretend to believe that they are embarking on a new nuclear weapons program starting presently. But so far, there is still no real crisis other than what our government has made. 29 years of bombing one country is enough. Starting Iraq War 4, out of spite over the results of Iraq Wars 2 and 3, would be the height of folly and assuredly an unimaginable disaster. Instead, let's call the whole thing off and bring the troops home. So that is Scott Horton from the Libertarian Institute. Um, yeah, but my views on this, man, this is how I see it. Was Soleimani a bad guy? Yeah. I, I don't think he was a good guy. I don't, I don't really have glowing feelings for the government of Iran. I think they're all pretty radicalized extremists over there. I don't think they're good people. But do I think that this move... Does the move of assassinating one of the top generals of a country help things or hurt things? Does it move things in the right direction or does it roll this ball down a slippery slope? I think it does the latter. I think this is... uh, the beginning of something pretty bad. I, I mean, Iran is possibly going to do something else, possibly, you know, attack some locations around their area. And that's always been the excuse for going to war over there. Military interests, American, they, they say American interests, attacks on American interests, not attacks on America, American interests. Of course. Oh, it's just a mess. Just a mess. So I'm looking at my phone right now, and apparently we have breaking news right now as I'm doing this recording. Um, breaking news on Twitter. Iran launches ballistic missile attack on Iraqi airbase where U.S. troops are stationed. The Pentagon confirmed that Iran has launched more than a dozen ballistic missiles against U.S. military and coalition forces in Iraq. Holy crap. So, here we go. Um, Let me see if I can find more. Uh, Defense official tells me that Al-Assad Air Base that houses U.S. and coalition troops in Iraq has been hit with six rockets. Not clear if there are any casualties. Um... At least six rockets so far tonight on Al-Assad Air Base, which hosts Iraq, Iraqi and U.S. troops. No word on damage or casualties so far. No U.S. response so far. Oh, geez, guys. Man. Um, well, of course, that this update comes as soon as I'm... I gathered my thoughts, I wrote my notes down, I read from articles, I got all my stuff prepared to give you my thoughts on all this, and then uh, all of a sudden this comes out. Crazy. Um, let me see if I can get a little bit more. CNN, oh boy, here we go. <laughs> um, 
As we evaluate the situation and our response, we will take all the necessary measures to protect to protect and defend U.S. personnel, partners, and allies in the region. The shelling has stopped for now. Um, Iranian State TV reported that Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, the IRGC, has hit U.S. Al-Assad Air Base in Iraq with tens of missiles. The IRGC warned the U.S. of more crushing responses in case of new aggression. According to State TV, the IRGC said that it will target any regional state that becomes a platform for U.S. aggression, a second banner on the TV read. Um... IRGC statement confirms missile attack on U.S. military base in Iraq, warns one, U.S. response will, will result in further retaliation, two, regional allies responsible for assisting U.S. response will be directly targeted, three, Israel and U.S. are considered as one, four, U.S. must withdraw from the region. Department of Defense officially let out a statement. The following statement is attributed to the uh, Department of Defense at approximately 1730 Eastern Time. January 7th, Iran launched at least a dozen ballistic missiles against U.S. military and coalition forces in Iraq. Um Holy crap. Reports say Iran is firing dozens of missiles into Iraq, hitting U.S. forces at Al-Assad Air Base. Earlier reports say 20 U.S. troops have died amid 60-plus missile strikes so far. If true, then we are at the precipice of another horrible war in the Middle East. God, I hope that's not the case. I'm just reading early Twitter, guys, so don't... I mean... By the time you're listening to this, probably more concrete reports will come out. Oh, man. This this whole situation. This whole situation. Even more reason for us not to be there. We shouldn't be there. This whole mess is brought on because we're there. Get out of the region already. Just get out. Pull out. They don't want us there. Iraq just voted to have us leave. We need to leave. That's it. But we're not going to leave. And now, now... After we assassinated their top general, guess what they're going to do? Surprise, surprise. They launched ballistic missiles. Of course, everyone knew they were going to do something. And if, if a lot of U.S. troops have died, then you know Trump is going to respond. And this whole thing is going to spiral. And we're going to get into a war with Iran. Man, this is... Ugh... This is upsetting. A war with Iran will make the Iraq, Afghanistan, and Syria war look like nothing. Look like nothing, man. 
this is this is terrible news, guys. I hate to end the episode on this, but gosh, I, I'm going to be paying close attention to this. I'll, I'll be sure to keep you guys up to date on this because, my God, this is terrible. Um. Anyway, if you enjoyed the episode, be sure to uh, like us on Facebook. Our podcast is located on Spotify, Apple Podcast, Stitcher, wherever you can find podcasts. I'll see you on the next episode probably very soon. Peace.